Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm not sure why that whole night is so perfectly preserved in my memory. I understand why the latter half is, and you will too, but it's the first half that surprises me. I can remember the way our campfire dinner of canned chili tasted. I remember large portions of conversations which occurred between me, my girlfriend Inez, and our friends, Sean and Nia. It's like my mind retroactively preserved the whole evening so I could remember the good parts of that camping trip, as well as the traumatic ones. I remember the fire and our conversation simultaneously waning. It was getting cold so none of us wanted to let the fire die yet, but we had run out of good firewood. Inez and Nia are both modern women, but both were perfectly fine letting Sean and I go searching for sticks in the dark woods. I'm just joking around, ladies. I mean, geez, if I had sat around that dying fire and let Inez go into the woods that night, and if what happened to me and Sean had happened to her and Nia instead, I don't know how I'd live with myself. You can call me sexist or whatever. That's just the way I'm wired. When we were out of earshot, meaning we couldn't hear our tipsy girlfriends laughing by the campfire anymore, Sean asked, Are you seeing what I mean? I said, Uh, you're gonna have to be more specific. Remember, before we picked up the girls, I was telling you I feel like Nia's been distancing herself from me? She used to be all clingy. Like, touching me all the time, always texting back right away, first thing in the morning, stuff like that. Are you complaining about your girlfriend giving you space? I asked, cocking an eyebrow. Because a lot of guys would kill for that. Sean shook his head. It's not like that, man. She's always given me space when I ask for it. But now it's like... Dude, I interrupted. Nia's great. Honestly, it sounds like she just feels secure with you. That's a good thing. The girls who constantly texted me and wanted me to be with them all the time were always the same ones who would accuse me of cheating if I took five extra minutes to respond. Know what I mean? I could tell Sean wasn't convinced. We kept talking as we walked, picking up the occasional stick when one of us remembered the reason we were wandering into the dark and cold. I remember checking over my shoulder to see if I could still see our campfire and not seeing even the faintest glow. Sean and I had been too invested in our conversation to realize how far we had walked. Sean was saying, I guess I'm the insecure one. Like, what does it say about me that I need somebody to want my constant attention? When I said, we should probably turn back. Sean looked around. He asked, do you know how to get back? I said, yeah, we just... I pointed over my shoulder and stopped dead in my tracks. Through the trees, I could see the hot glow of a campfire But unless we had accidentally circled back and the girls had gathered more firewood in our absence, this fire was not ours. I asked Sean, Do you see that? He sidled up next to me and whispered, That's not ours, right? There's no way, dude, I whispered back. That's not even the right direction. 
The girls are over there. I pointed back the way I thought we had come. Who'd be way out here? We must have walked at least a third of a mile away from the campground, right? Asked Sean. I said, yeah, I don't know, maybe half. Sean and I stood, squinting at the flickering light. I took a cautious, sideways step to get a better view of the fire itself. I wanted to see if anyone was tending it. The woods were dry, even more so than usual due to low rainfall that year. Dead leaves covered the ground. I could imagine a forest fire breaking out easily. Yo, yo, stop, Sean suddenly shouted in a whisper. He grabbed the sleeve of my jacket and pulled me back. There's a guy there, just one guy by himself. What is he doing out here? I shuffled closer to Sean to look where he was looking. A solitary man was sitting on an overturned bucket beside the open flame. He was holding his hands out, warming them. He wore a beanie, a puffy coat, khaki work pants, and black boots. He didn't have a beard per se, but his facial hair had graduated from scruff. I didn't see any bags or gear near the man. From what I could tell, it was just him, his bucket, and the fire. We should go, I said. I don't know what's going on with this guy, but we probably don't want to find out. Agreed, said Sean. Lead the way. No sooner had I taken a step than Sean grabbed me again. He whispered, stop, and I stopped. He whispered, he's looking at us. Hello, the man called. I looked his direction and saw he had risen to his feet. Down, down, I whispered as I tugged at Sean's shoulders. With a good flashlight, the man still could have spotted us, but in the dark, I hoped we just looked like a pair of rocks. You'd better show yourself, the man warned. He produced something I immediately assumed was a gun. I ain't got nothing to lose. I'll start shooting in the dark if nobody says hi in the next three seconds. He raised the gun in our direction. All right, all right, I shouted, standing with my hands raised. Don't shoot us, man. We're just out here gathering firewood. Sean slowly stood beside me. How about you come up here where I can see you, huh? Come get in the light. The man gestured broadly to the glow around him, waving the gun madly as he did. I didn't think we had a choice, so I obeyed. So did Sean. As we neared the man, I could make out his features. Maybe it was the reddening firelight, but seeing the details of his face taught me nothing about the guy. The structure of his face and the color of his hair told me he was maybe in his early to mid-thirties, just a couple of years older than us. But the lines in his skin and the lightless depths of his eyes described a much older man. His skin from what I could see in the V of his partially unbuttoned shirt, was taut and papery, but sinewy muscle showed beneath. The guy was small, but he looked strong. The man turned away from us, hid his gun under the bucket, and sat down on top of it again. He asked, So you two just happened to stumble your way out here? Sean said, Sorry man, we weren't trying to like, infringe on your spot or anything. We can just... So it's just a coincidence, man? He enunciated the word man, making it clear we were not to refer to him so casually anymore. So I asked what we should call him if our conversation was to continue. I will be asking the questions from now on, okay? He said. But you call me Abram, okay? Abram, got it, Sean replied. Well, listen, Abram, our friends are back at the campsite waiting for us to bring wood. 
We were just talking and wandered a little farther than we should have. Good conversation? Abram asked. Sean tried not to let his confusion show. Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty good one, he said, with a slight shrug at me. He was encouraging me to add something, but I didn't really know what to say. I was glad he had said friends instead of girlfriends, though. I could use a good conversation. Haven't had one in a while. Abram pointed to the ground across the fire from him. Have a seat, he said. No wind. Smoke's going straight up. I said, that's all right, sir. We really need to go back to our campsite. No, no, Abram said, shaking his head and looking down. No, you're not just going to wander off now. You walk in here, you say it's just by chance, but I don't believe in chance, fellas. I think there's a reason you're here. I just want a friend, boys. Or two. Haven't you ever just wanted a friend? Sure, Sean said. Abram was still looking down, so it was safe for Sean to subtly point at the bucket and widen his eyes at me. He said telepathically, Dude, he's got a gun in there. We need to go along with this. I nodded understandingly. Need any of this? Abram asked. He reached behind the bucket and drew out a bottle of New Amsterdam with maybe two ounces of vodka left inside. No, we're good, I said. Abram held the bottle towards Sean to double check but Sean raised a hand and shook his head. Smart. Never know which drink is going to be the one, Abram said. I wondered what he meant, but didn't have to wait long to find out. Think about it, he said. Was there a drink that could have changed everything if I didn't drink it? Was there one night when I ordered one too many beers and tipped the scale too far to bring it back? Was there one morning if I hadn't made a screwdriver I'd be sober and clean as a whistle right now? I don't think that's how it really works, Sean said. It made me nervous to hear him disagree with our disagreeable host, but he knew what he was doing. I think some people are just born with brains that can't handle, you know, they can't deal with... It's true, slurred Abram. I know just what you mean. I do. First drink I had when I was 14, I knew I was going to be a drunk just like my daddy. Abram, I said, are you, like... Are you homeless? Nah, but I will be soon, Abram said. Wife is up and divorcing me. Papers drawn up and everything. She's gonna get the house. I just know she's gonna get it. And then I'll be homeless, yes sir. Oh, I'm sorry, man, I said, forgetting how he had reacted to the term. My mistake was either unnoticed or forgiven, though. You two want to hear how it all happened? How it all came down on me? Abram asked. Sean said, Ah, if it wasn't so late, totally. Will you still be here tomorrow? Because we gotta get back to our camp. Abram said, quietly. You're not going back there tonight. What's that? Sean asked. His eyebrows shot up as our eyes met. Said you're not getting back to your camp tonight. It's too dark out now. It's too late. That's okay, we have flash- I said! Abram roared, interrupting me. You can't go back. Your friends just have to fend for themselves tonight. Sean wanted badly to protest or argue. I could tell, but I was grateful he didn't. I couldn't see how anything we might say would set us free. Our best bet, I calculated, would be to let the man talk himself out and eventually fall asleep. From the smell of him, that bottle of New Amsterdam might have been full earlier that afternoon. Okay, Abram, I said. 
let's hear it. Abram's story isn't worth recounting in detail. His was a timeless tale told again and again by men of every generation. When he started making money as a young man, he started gambling. When he won, he drank. When he lost, he drank. Both addictions continued long after he no longer had money to gamble or drink with. He started gambling with his wife's money and taking out credit cards in her name. Whenever he happened to win, she never saw any returns. His meager winnings mostly went to booze. First, they took his car. I'm not sure if they refers to the bank or one of the loan sharks he mentioned throughout his story. Lucky for Abram, his wife kept up on the mortgage. What she didn't know was that he had racked up about 20 grand in credit card debt under her name. When the collection letters started showing up, Abram always made sure to retrieve the mail himself and dispose of them. It wasn't until a collections call went directly to his wife's phone that she learned the crippling truth. So, what's your plan? I asked, trying to move the conversation towards some type of conclusion. Plan? Abram laughed wheezily. If I had a plan, you'd think I'd be sitting on a bucket in the woods with nothing but an empty bottle to my name? As he said this, he twisted the lid off the new Amsterdam and swallowed the last couple ounces of vodka as easily as if it was water. He said, You boys are young, so you still think life will let you lay it out, move it around like a game board, right? Like that game life. You think you can drive your little blue car down the road, choosing your path, cruising toward retirement? How about I give you a little knowledge, huh? A little life lesson. It don't work that way. Not unless you got some kind of millions of dollars, right? You just an ordinary Joe like me, and what's that they say? Man makes plans and, and God laughs, right? Well, here's the kicker. There ain't even no God. Not one that'll listen to my prayers anyway. I made a lot of people cry, but I ain't never made nobody laugh, that's for sure. It was working. As Abram rambled on, becoming more nonsensical with each broken sentence, his eyelids slid further down. He stared blankly into the fire, and Sean and I shared a hopeful glance. Abram slouched a little lower. Oh, brother, he mumbled and sat back up. Gotta go mark my territory for the night. Now, I expected our drunken, shameless captor to unzip and let loose right in front of us, but he had the surprising decency to wander over to a tree at the edge of the fire's light. He took the bottle with him for some reason, and I sincerely hoped we weren't about to find out how he stayed hydrated. Don't go nowhere, he said. I'm enjoying our little chat. You're good men, yep. Then he turned his back to do his business. Sean kicked my foot and cocked his head toward the bucket. He had read my mind. Or maybe it was just the most obvious idea. The only reason we hadn't ganged up on Abram or tried to run was the gun he had under that bucket. Now we had an opportunity to tip the scales back in our favor. I had to act quickly. Abram had his back turned, yes, but he wasn't very far away. If he happened to glance back in our direction and see what I was doing, I wouldn't have much time to react. And if he caught me, all pretense of friendliness would surely be lost. I thought of the girls waiting back at camp, surely terrified about what had happened to us by now, and made my move. I decided speed was worth more than stealth because all I needed to do was get my hands on the gun. I didn't want to use it on Abram, I just didn't want him to have it. I dove around the fire, landing on all fours next to Abram's bucket. He sensed the commotion 
and turned just as I flipped the bucket over. Justin! Sean shouted to warn me, but Abram only looked at me with the sadness of betrayal weighing on his face. He actually turned back around to finish his business. At first, I thought he had accepted defeat, but then I looked at what was under the bucket. It was a stick, about two inches around and bent at an obtuse angle. I could see how, from a distance and in the dark, I could have mistaken the stick for a gun. There had never been a weapon present at the fire. We could have run or fought at any time. Sean jumped to his feet. I stood. Now why'd you do that? Abram asked. You think I had a gun tucked under there? He raised the empty glass bottle above his head and smashed it against the trunk of the tree he had wetted. He held the jagged, rectangular bottle by its unbroken neck. No, there had not been a weapon present at the fireside, but now there was. Let's go, Justin, Sean said. His voice sounded wavy and uncertain. Come on, man, let's just run. I raised my hands up to show Abram I wasn't a threat and slowly backed toward Sean. Run? Abram asked. Is sitting here with me so bad? Look, dude, we don't know you. You're just some guy in the woods to us, and we've got people waiting. They're probably really worried by now. Must be nice having somebody worry about you, Abram said, slurring worse than ever. Alright, toss everything you got next to the fire. I want to see it all. Sean and I both reached into our pockets. Abram raised his broken bottle and waved it at us, saying, Not so fast, gentlemen. Take it slow. No surprises. He sounded like a corny highwayman from an old western film. I only had my wallet and phone in my pockets. I removed both at the same time and obeyed Abram's instructions to toss them by the fireside. My flashlight was still on the ground where I had been sitting earlier. I looked longingly at the dancing reflection on my phone's screen, fantasizing about calling 911. I briefly considered picking up my phone and running into the woods to make the call but quickly realized I wouldn't know where to send the cops. Sean and I would probably have had our eyeballs replaced with broken glass by the time anyone found us. As I ran full circle around the idea of calling for help, I realized Sean had barely moved. He too had tossed his phone by the fire, but was still holding his wallet. His right fingers were still inside his jacket pocket. His eyes had glazed over, like his thoughts were somewhere far away. Sean, bud, what's going on? I asked. Abram shuffled forward, sticking the broken bottle out like a dueling swordsman. Sean's hand crept out from his pocket in a closed fist. Just toss it by the fire, son, Abram repeated. Sean looked down at his closed fist, as if confirming what he held there. I saw the firelight gleam off of polished metal, peeking out of his fist, and realized with equal parts fear and dread what my friend had removed from his pocket. Don't do it, man, I said in an undertone. Just toss it over. Don't set this guy off. Sean didn't seem to hear me, just kept staring at the folded pocket knife in his hand. What you got? Abram demanded. Swear to God you better throw it over here. I said, Sean, listen to me. Nobody's gotten hurt and nobody needs to, okay? If we keep talking, we can... The click of Sean's three-inch blade snapping open interrupted my diplomatic plea 
I shifted my gaze to Abram, who looked more confused than anything. But as I watched him, I could see his anger physically manifest in his rippling tendons, the taut lines on his neck, and at the corners of his twitching mouth. You're a damn fool, Abram said coolly. You still got time to throw that knife away, though. Take our cash and let us walk, Sean ordered. He tossed his wallet next to mine. He said, Go ahead, whatever's in there, take it. Then we go our separate ways. Sean, stop, I whispered. I'm not sure if he was too blinded by anger or what, but to me it was obvious he was winding Abram up to some level of insanity we had not yet broached. Go on, Sean said, pointing at the wallets with the tip of his blade. You think you're clever, Abram clucked as he stepped toward the fire. He let the bottle drop down to his side. I thought Sean had actually won. I thought Abram was about to kneel down, collect our cash, and let us walk. I did not foresee him kicking one of the burning logs in Sean's direction, pelting him with smoldering embers, sparks, and ash. Sean sputtered and coughed as he reeled backward. A glowing ember had gone down into the front of his jacket. He danced around, trying to make it fall out. It's a miracle nothing near him caught on fire. Abram was on him before I could step in. I think he actually jumped over the fire, broken bottle raised above his head. The two of them went to the ground. Their impact caused Abram to miss with his first swing, and I prevented his second by grabbing a hold of his arm at the elbow. Sean stabbed upward with the pocket knife, narrowly missing Abram's neck. To protect himself, Abram was forced to let the bottle go. When it hit the ground, I kicked it into the trees. Abram's two hands wrapped around Sean's, the one holding the knife. Sean's other hand clapped onto the fleshy, bony knot they had formed. I jumped onto Abram's back and wrapped my arms under his armpits and used my weight as leverage to pull him off of Sean. Go, go, I shouted at my friend. Abram writhed in my arms, but I had a strong hold on him. Sean scrambled to his feet and kicked Abram square in the face with his heavy booted foot. I'm not sure if he knocked Abram out or just stunned him, but either way, the kick gave me a chance to get to my feet too. I yelled, run, even though I clearly didn't need to. Sean was already moving. He still had his flashlight, thank God. Without it, we would have been totally blind. I followed him closely so as not to stumble over any branches, rocks, or bushes. I didn't hear Abram pursuing us, but couldn't look back to check. Every step was accompanied by the risk of a twisted ankle. Okay, slow down, Sean suddenly said. I ran into his extended arm when I couldn't stop fast enough. He said, let's be quiet now, and clicked off his light. We had outrun the light of the fire and couldn't hear anyone moving around in the woods. I whispered, do you have any clue where we are? What are we going to do without our phones? Our phones wouldn't do any good, Sean whispered back. I don't think there's a signal out here. Otherwise, the girls would have been calling and texting this whole time. You think they're okay? I asked. Sean didn't answer. We knew each other too well to lie to one another. Did I have any reason to think the girls might not be okay? No. But an hour ago, we didn't know a crazy person was camping in the woods half a mile away. Hey, Justin? Sean asked, sounding less assured all of a sudden. Do you think... Would the girls have come looking for us? Every worn-out but accurate cliché happened to me at once. My heart dropped, my stomach twisted, my blood ran ice cold. 
That last one in particular sounds like something an amateur writer would say, but if you've ever been terrified for your life or someone else's, you know it's a pretty accurate description of the sensation that comes over you. Yes, the thought of Abram stumbling upon our camp had crossed my mind for a second, but I'd quickly decided the odds were too low to concern myself with. I had not considered that Inez and Nia might come searching for us, though. If they had followed our tracks into the woods... Nia? Sean screamed. I clamped a hand over his mouth and we nearly crashed to the ground. What the hell is wrong with you? I hissed. Sean? Nia's voice echoed. Oh god, they're out here, Sean groaned. We locked eyes, and Sean looked about as sick as I felt. I yelled, Keep your eyes open, there's a crazy guy out here. What? Justin? returned Inez. Stop, stop, Sean said. I got off of him, and we both straightened out. You're gonna lead that dude right to them. They need to know what's going on. I mean, he could still be knocked out, but I don't want to chance it, do you? I'm guessing Sean shook his head, but I couldn't see. I said, At least we know which way to walk. Maybe the girls will know the way back to camp. Let's just try to meet up with them. Before Abram, Sean added. We walked carefully to avoid tripping over any forest refuse. We only used Sean's flashlight sparingly, so as not to show Abram where we were. Only once did we agree to call out to the girls to orient ourselves. Shine your lights over here, I yelled. The girls must have still been hundreds of yards away, but it was so dark in the woods that when one of their beams made its broken way through the trees in front of me, I still saw it. Stay there, Sean said. We'll come to you. If the girls said anything, we couldn't hear them. Forward we marched. We reached a patch full of short, thin trees, either young or of a smaller variety. Here the moonlight could actually reach the ground. I lost some tension in my shoulders as the world around me grew more visible. At least I knew I wasn't going to blindly stumble into the strangling grip of a killer. I found a smooth rock, a little larger than a baseball, on the ground and shoved it into my pocket in case it might come in handy later. Did you hear that? Sean suddenly stopped and asked. I hadn't heard anything and told him so. What was it? I asked. Sounded like somebody crying. Although I hadn't heard the sound myself, I gave Sean a light push and said, Go, go. We took full advantage of the moonlit patch to cover some distance in a near sprint. Once we were amongst greater trees again, shrouded in shadows, we were forced to slow a little, but Sean turned on his flashlight so we could keep running. Inez? Nia? I yelled. They didn't respond with their voices, but I saw one of their lights flash up ahead. We were close. Sean said, Justin, I've got a real bad feeling. I told him I did too. And while I don't claim to have any premonitory gifts, I can honestly say the scene we stumbled into half a minute later was exactly what I had feared it would be. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. When we came upon them, the flashlight beam I had noticed was trained on Inez and Nia. They were sitting on a log, front-facing, but turned toward one another. Their hands were bound together in between them with the drawstring from Nia's hoodie. Holding the flashlight on them, looking meaner than ever, was Abram. Sean threw his flashlight violently. It spun past the man, not even causing him to flinch, then buried itself beneath a layer of dead leaves. Good to see you two again, he said. I know you were worried about your campmates. I kept them safe and sound for you. Who is this guy, Sean? Nia whimpered. Hold on, baby. We'll figure this out. Don't worry. Sean's voice didn't exactly exude confidence. I didn't speak at all because I figured my voice would sound a lot like his, shaky and afraid. I didn't want to give Abram the pleasure of hearing the fear he had induced in me. I locked my jaw and stepped toward him. Abram held the flashlight in one hand and the broken bottle in the other. When I moved toward him, he moved toward the girls. I wanted to puke when he ran a jagged point of glass through Inez's hair. Abram looked dead into my eyes as he did this. I tried not to show how it affected me. Wouldn't come any closer, he said. What's your endgame? I asked. We gave you our wallets, our phones. We could have all just gone our separate ways. What do you want? What do I want? Abram echoed. He pointed the flashlight into his own chest, momentarily casting us all into darkness. I want to stop hurting. I want to stop feeling like I've got a thousand knives sticking out of my chest. I want to be able to sleep at night. You got anything in your wallet that can do that for me, huh? Justin, what is happening? Inez cried. I ignored her, but only because I had to. Look, Abram, I'm sorry about what's happened to you, man. Your wife obviously... Don't you dare talk about my wife. I raised my hands defensively and said, Okay, okay, my bad. I was just going to say I know you're going through it right now, but hurting us, hurting these girls, isn't going to make anything better. Abram looked down at the bottle in his hand. He flicked a lock of Inez's hair with the sharp point again. I winced, but did not allow myself a more dramatic reaction. Inez's sniffling broke my heart. I wanted to lunge at Abram and tear out his throat, but he was too close to her. He could have cut both the girls' throats before I got my hands on him. Get away from them, Sean's voice said right beside me. I'd been so focused on Abram I hadn't noticed Sean step forward. His right hand extended toward Abram with his pocket knife pointed right at the man's chest. You idiot, Abram drunkenly laughed. You take one more step and I'll show you how serious I am. Both girls uttered muted cries. Abram yelled, Oh, quit it. As long as your boyfriends play along, you'll be fine. Now, son, you go ahead and toss that knife right over here. After you drop the bottle, Sean said. Abram shoved the jagged point into Inez's temple. She moved her head quickly enough to avoid more than a topical laceration, but Abram's act was enough to show us all how deadly serious he was. Sean yelled, Stop! Stop! 
and tossed his knife on the ground between us and the bottle-wielding madman. Now the stalemate was broken. Abram had all the power. But if Abram had taught us anything that night, it was how unpredictable a desperate person can be. While Sean and I were paralyzed by the helpless situation, it was Inez who had a broken bottle held against her head. It was her who would pay the price if Abram decided he was done playing games with us. Since she was already staring down death, she really had nothing to lose. She lashed out with a vicious kick, connecting brutally with the side of Abram's knee. We all heard it crunch. Abram shouted in agony and fell sideways. He dropped both the bottle and flashlight as he clutched his shattered knee, howling. Sean retrieved his knife. The girls stood and ran to us. I ran past them. The weight of that smooth rock I had put in my pocket had reminded me of its presence. I kicked Abram's broken bottle further away from him, then dropped my rock on top of it, eliminating the makeshift weapon. What should we do about him? I asked Sean as he cut the girls free. He said, I don't care. I just want to get out of here. He has our phones, Nia said. I picked up the rock again and stepped over Abram as he trembled beneath me. What I saw below me was a broken man. I saw the man that had been trapped inside an aggressive facade. He was pale and sobbing and stunk of sweat and vodka. You gonna kill me now? Abram asked as I searched his pockets for the phones. No, man. We'll send help when we get back to camp. Help? You think I can afford help? Who's gonna fix this leg for free, huh? Didn't I tell you my wife took everything from me? I found one phone and tossed it to the others. I had to roll Abram over to reach his other pocket. He yowled as his broken leg flopped limply over the other. Just kill me, he groaned. I said, no. Kill me, damn it. Not gonna happen. As my hand went into Abram's pocket, his hands wrapped around my throat and squeezed. His hands started crushing my larynx. He held on so tight, I couldn't even look up. I only heard Sean and the girls move into action. Sean and Nia grabbed Abram's arms, but he still held on to me. I was genuinely terrified he was going to break my neck before he could suffocate me. I acted mostly on instinct, the will to survive, when I brought the rock in my hand down on his head. I hit hard, but not hard enough to kill him. Not the first time. When his grip didn't loosen, I had to hit him again. This time, I heard a wet squelch and felt his hands slip off of me. Whoever was holding the flashlight shone it on Abram's face as I scrambled away from him. My baseball-sized rock had replaced his right eyeball. Blood was running down his cheek and temple. He wasn't moving. Not even his chest. We didn't find our camp until after the sun rose and we could use it to orient ourselves. Without it, we would have been hopelessly lost. Unfortunately, our hours of aimless wandering meant we couldn't direct the authorities to Abram's body very well. We gave our best description of where he might be while paramedics checked us out. They treated Inez's cut and examined my bruised and swollen throat. I could barely speak. We all had various bruises and such to deal with. Without those injuries, I don't think the cops would have believed our story. They called me three days after the ordeal to say they had still not recovered Abram's corpse. By now, they say, 
He's probably been taken away by some scavenger, or maybe been eaten on the spot. The four of us got dinner together a week later. Sean, Nia, Inez, and I. While we ate, Nia brought a question that had been lurking in the depths of our thoughts to the surface. He was really dead, right? There's no way he could have still been alive, Inez instantly answered. I took a long sip of beer. Well, said Sean, I mean, it's not entirely impossible that he could have survived. Inez scolded him, then looked at me. I know she wanted me to back her up and say I believed beyond the shadow of a doubt that we, that I, had killed Abram. And look, I admit the odds certainly lean toward him being dead. But Sean was right. There was still a shred of a possibility that Abram had lived. And that's a real problem. Because when the cops had found his campsite, they had not found Sean and I's wallets. Abram must have taken them with him when he had hunted us down. I had stopped searching him after I found the girl's phones. If he's out there somewhere, he has our IDs, and therefore, our addresses. If that madman is still alive, I know it's the slimmest of possibilities, but if he is alive, he knows where we live. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. If you want more creepy content, follow me on Instagram at The Warning Woods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into The Warning Woods. Thank you for listening. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the roll of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts.